0: morning, everybody. What is going on? Welcome to the release podcast. My name is Dalton Schwenker. Uh, this is a re-recording of the first podcast. I got a little too excited about the podcast, and I put up episode one about a week and a half ago. Uh, and the, the production quality, sound quality, the mic and things was just not quite what I wanted it to be. I didn't have my studio set up quite yet all the way. So I'm re-recording this one, and uh, it's going to be a lot better than the first one. So uh, if you're just joining me, uh, my name is Dalton Schwenker. Uh, I am the uh, person behind the platform Released, and we are a self-development platform, kind of just going along the lines of anything, uh, finances, uh, just self-help type platform. Um, I am a huge fan of minimalism, so... Uh, I kind of base a platform around a very minimalistic approach. Um, the from like the U, the UI design on the website and um, some of the blog post topics are just kind of minimalizing your life. Just things like that. I can't. It's so hard to create come up with like a quick like elevator pitch of the platform because there's so much in it, but yet it's so like simple at the same time. Um, Just trying to come up with words for it, it's it's difficult. So if you'd like to check it out though, I highly encourage it, released.vip. That is the URL that you will type in for that. Um, And just take a look around and I hope you guys enjoy it. So today's podcast, the first episode, we're going to be talking about the three personal finance myths you hear too often. I thought this was a great topic to start out with because it's so relatable uh, to so many people. We've all heard these things before. And I just thought it would be a great kind of opening to the podcast um, to get the ball rolling. So I'll, I'm going to jump right in here. Number one, credit cards are evil. I hear this very, very, very often. And usually it's f- like there's a there's a generation here or a specific age group that I hear it from most. And I know why. It makes complete sense. Um, but when I do hear this, I usually ask if they know someone that's gotten into credit card trouble. And I haven't measured the actual response rate of yeses and nos, but I would say that yes probably occurs about 90 to 95% of the time. Um, and it's, it's because a lot of people don't feel responsible enough to maintain a good balance on their cards. They don't know uh, good habits. So it's, one of those interesting things. Um, and when I was talking about the age, there is a a set number of people that had parents, um, or grandparents that recently got into credit card trouble, not, not necessarily super recently, but maybe in like the, like early 2000s, maybe even late 90s, but probably 2000s. um, And these people that are coming up kind of around my age, maybe just a little bit older than myself, um, I'm 20, so maybe like 23 to 27, a lot of these people were told by their parents or they saw bad credit card habits by their parents or someone close to them. So they're so deathly scared of them and um, they, they didn't even research them to figure out uh, the benefits or, or pros of having them. They just kind of kind of just are like, no, never going to do that. That's super bad for your personal finance. Credit cards are not a, a good thing to have. And that's really just kind of couldn't be further from the truth. Now, it does take a very disciplined person to make this work. And, and I think that everybody can be disciplined enough to to successfully carry a credit card. And I I really think you should. And if you don't think you can, I would research a lot and and try to build yourself up to it because you're really missing out on a lot of benefits if you're not carrying a credit card. Um, Cash back, 1% to 5% cash back on all purchases, some cards. I know my Discover It Chrome card gives me 1% on everything and then I think 2% on gas. And that doesn't sound like a whole lot, but it really racks up over time and the Discover It Chrome card, uh, I think they did a cashback a cash match the first year. So at the end of the first year, I think I had $80 of cashback. And then they matched it with $80 more. So I was at $160, which is really awesome. Uh, another thing you're missing out on is uh, re- reward points. A lot of cards will do flight miles. So you can get, uh, it'll kind of incentivize you to go on vacation because you get free flights every now and again which that's really awesome. I love traveling, so that's important for me. Miscellaneous perks, executive airport clubs, TSA pre-check. And if you've never used TSA pre-check or gone through TSA pre-check, it is so, so much better than going through normal security. You don't have to take your shoes off. You don't have to take your laptop out of bags. That sounds like something small, but it's very hectic in the security line. And anything you can do to minimize that is... Amazing, especially if you travel often. Protection. This is one of the biggest benefits of a credit card. You get theft protection, uh, travel insurance. So if you're traveling a lot, I think a lot of cards give up to like ten grand in travel insurance. So if you like have to cancel your flight because an emergency, instead of just being out of pocket, that a lot of times you can dispute that with your credit card company, and they will reach out to the uh, the carrier, the flight carrier and they will um, solve that dispute for you. Purchase refunds. If you buy something that you're very unhappy with and you feel like you were kind of cheated, you can reach out to, in my case, Discover, and they will dispute that for me. Um, And a lot of times, you'll get a refund. So super awesome. And then building credit. I said that protection was the most important. Building credit's got to be the number one most important thing with credit cards. It's a great way to start building or repairing your credit as long as you are following you know, good credit card habits that, uh, we kind of talked about a little bit. I'm going to do another podcast or a future blog post on good credit card habits. Um, but you can also research them. There's tons of information online about this, or you could just go to credit karma. Um, this is not a plug for credit karma, but I use credit karma and, um, they tell you all kinds of ways you can, uh, help your credit, um, and things like that. So, In conclusion of the credit cards, they're very powerful tools in wealth building and retention process. Um, It's super important to use them properly, like I mentioned before. Um, And I encourage you to learn more about them if you don't trust yourself with them now because you're you're gonna miss out on a lot of things if you don't do that. All right, myth number two, pinch your pennies. This one's frustrating, <laughs> very frustrating for me. And this comes from a, the the older crowd normally. I'm, I, I'm not. I never categorize a crowd like saying like, "Oh, all of the old people say this," because that's not true. That's not true with anything. All of something is not. You can't. You can't do that because there's always people that that don't do this. But I would say, majority of the time, this comes from older people, and it's it's being told. So, you, you go to Starbucks and you have your Starbucks drink. You come home, and your mom is like, Why are you drinking Starbucks? That's so expensive. Or um, maybe you walk into work and people are like, Oh, that's ridiculous. Like, you buy a Starbucks every single day. If you just made coffee at home, it would save you so much money. That is true, completely understandable. But the problem here is we've been we've been hit so hard with the concept that the only way to get ahead or um, in in have money to save and invest is to just pinch pennies and live like we're just absolutely poor and we have no money. Partly true, but partly false, and pretty false at that. Um, a and I'm gonna butcher this name, but uh, Ramit Sethi wrote a fantastic article called money dials, which I will link to, um, in the show notes, or you can check it out on the uh, blog post itself. Uh, but it, it's called money dials and he illustrates this concept in the most perfect way I think I've ever heard. Um, and it's the fact that we have money dials, there's a bunch of dials and you can't turn them all up to 10 But you can tweak some and you can spend less on things that you don't really enjoy and spend more on things that you do enjoy and you'll still have money to save instead of just spending a lot of money on everything, even things that you don't really enjoy that much. So in this case, um, if you, this is rare, but say you don't like traveling, but you love getting Starbucks every day, you could turn your travel dial way down and turn your, food or or Starbucks dial up. That is going to be enough to where you can still save and invest. You're just switching your allocation of your funds versus spending 10 on Starbucks and spending 10 on travel. And I think this is where a lot of people where this comes in, because people just assume that if you're doing getting Starbucks because they don't do that and because they think they're so good at saving money in that field and that and on that dial, they think that you should, you know, be the same way. And it's really just, it's kind of just ridiculous, actually. Um, saving every dollar you earn can actually be counterproductive. Um, when you don't leave room to spend on the things you enjoy, you will a lot of times become demotivated to save altogether. I just smashed my nose into the microphone. Hopefully that wasn't really loud. Um, But if you save everything now in 20 to 30 years, you can live lavishly. That is true. um, And and you will grow your investment portfolio or savings account significantly quicker if you save everything. But at least for me, and I'm not going to say this for everybody because some people might want to do that. And that's perfectly fine. For me, I would rather live and enjoy life for my whole life, especially now in my youth, uh, than when I'm just old and I can't do anything. So uh, for me, in the next 10 years, my goal is to travel a, j- as much as I possibly can. I uh, work from home a lot. And so I would like to travel and work from home um, and just see as many things as I can. I will have to turn down other money dials in that process so I can spend more lavishly on travel and still uh, maintain my savings allocation and investment allocation. But I just think that's for me, that's really important. So. I really encourage you to check out the uh, the Money Dials blog uh, post by Ramit Sethi. Uh, he wrote um, the book uh, "I Will Teach You to Be Rich," and it does sound like a very cliche title. But I, the book is great. It uh, has a lot of really good points, and he'll even he even says in the book he's like, I almost changed the title because it sounds like one of those guru titles, and like you know that that has gotten to the point where it's so annoying the gurus and things, but. It really has a lot of good concepts um, and so I encourage you to ignore the title um, and and really read it um, because it has a lot of really good information. All right, we're going to take a quick break and uh, we will come back with number three. All right, we're back. Number three, looking rich is rich. I put this one at the end, but I believe it's the biggest myth that we tell ourselves and other people tell us or we hear other people say. Uh, I think this is best understood with visuals, so I really encourage you to look at the show notes for this, uh, but I'll try to illustrate it um, with words. We're just going to come up with two random name scenarios. So Clyde King uh, lives in a beautiful Beverly Hills mansion with the pres- with that prestigious the blah, blah, Wow. That was... <laughs> Words. That's, you know, that's all I can say about that. He lives in the prestigious zip code 90210. And he lives in an 8,600 square foot house. Drives a Ferrari 488. Clyde's rarely seen in public without at least one piece of designer clothing on. Most often his Gucci belts. Sounds like a cool dude, right? Not really, but. Uh, number two, David Freeberg. David lives in a 2,500-square-foot home in central Missouri. He loves traveling, so he prefers to keep his material assets to a minimum. Hey David, I think we could be friends. He spends money on destinations around the world. For stateside trips, he will drive his 2015 Jeep Wrangler. He prefers his method of travel instead of airfare, so he gets to enjoy the scenery between the destinations. David is an avid investor and a work-from-home entrepreneur. The truth on this one, um, and I think you guys have probably already kind of figured uh, what's going on here. Um, something important to know is that while many people passing by would think Clyde is the rich one, and Clyde feels so good that people think he's rich. That's just that's the, the type of person Clyde is. He just he's that showy guy. He feels super cool about it. The thing they don't know is that his house is on the brink of foreclosure and the car is due for repossession next week. Clyde doesn't want people to figure that out because they will think he's poor, which he is actually. Clyde's unable to make his payments and his net worth has dropped to $45,000. David, however, has a popular blog that generates around $9,500 a month in revenue, as well as $2.5 million invested in an array of stocks, real estate, and commodities pushing his net worth to under $5 million. Sounds like he is really set up. I wish that was me. <laughs> but why doesn't he show it? David has realized that for him to feel rich, he spends only on things he enjoys instead of letting everyone know how much he has. He travels 300 days out of the year and loves going to high-end restaurants for dinners with his wife. I've never, fo- I've never been fond of that term rich because it means absolutely nothing. It's an empty word. And the definition varies from person to person. It's important to not let materialistic things lead you to conclude that someone or yourself is rich. Assets do not. Wow, I said that wrong. Assets are not a measurement tool to determine how you're doing financially. Um, If you want to read more on that topic, I will leave the link for um, The Millionaire Next Door by Thomas Stanley in the uh, show notes. Or you can go to the blog post and check it out there. It's a fantastic foundation for personal finance and it really kind of hits home a little bit harder on this topic. So that's going to be it for today, guys. I hope you enjoy this. Just a quick little podcast re-recording and um, I look very, very forwards to the future of released and the next podcast. Until then, I'll see you guys later.